words from the hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. This morning, we're going to share on the topic, Lily of the Valley. This is our Christmas message this morning, Lily of the Valley. I know you all remember the old hymn, I found a friend in Jesus, he's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. Like he's just so beautiful. God is so beautiful. So in his journey with us, he decided to make something extraordinary. You know, that is going to be the, the muse of all humanity. He decided to offer us something that is going to be like what all artists will crave, what all designers will look at as excellence and beauty. And that is invested in a person. This muse for all times is a man. His name is Jesus Christ. And that's why we're gathered this morning. It's because of Jesus Christ we are gathered. He is the lily of the valley. Let's read this scripture together. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 1 to 2. This is going to be our anchor scripture for today. One, two, go. Who? Okay, hang on. Let's do it together. One, two, go. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no calm, no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we will desire him. No beauty, no single beauty. From the hills of Golgotha down into the cracky rocks, valleys of Bethlehem, grew an amazing lily. A lily that outshone the beauty of every other plant life in the wild, difficult terrain. A tender lily growing out of the dry valley. What a lily sought after by the loftiest kings and queens of renown. Come all who dream of incomparable beauty to the fragrance that refreshes life in the wilderness and a real sequoia that covers all. This is a poem I wrote about the lily of the valley. I wrote this poem to my God. Everyone, you are invited to come and see this great lily that grew up to become a sequoia. Covers everyone. Sequoia is a giant tree, a massive tree with big branches. This tiny lily that grew out of craggy ground is making impact in all the cities, in all the nations of the world. What's a lily? The Hebrew word for lily is, what's a valley I mean? The Hebrew word for valley is bika, a cleft of the mountain. Because this lily is not just the lilies of the field. The Bible says, look at the lilies of the field. So you are traveling between Lagos, Joss, and Abuja. And in some particular season, you see plants, lilies, hundreds of them. That's not this lily. This is not the lilies of the field that the Bible says, your father takes care of them. This lily is the lily of the valley. There's a difference between the lilies of the field and lily of the valley. A valley refers to a cleft in the mountain. 
And the, this cleft is normally worn down by erosion and by, you know, the movement of molten magma. You know, our geologist, chief geologist is in the house, Pastor E.C. <laughs> you forgot your geology degree. <laughs> so, so the wearing out of water bodies passing through the mountaintop creates valleys. Valleys are products of trouble. They're products of storm, molten magma, difficulty. It cracks out a valley out of a tall hill. So valleys refers to difficult place bounded by mountains. Let's talk about hills and valleys. The three scriptures, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 9. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths, and spring out of valleys and hills. This was the promised land. Every promised land God will give you will have hills, but it will also have what? Valleys. But the land where you go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh the water of heaven. Deuteronomy 11, 11. Isaiah 41, 18. I will open rivers in desolate heights and fountain in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry springs of water. Hallelujah. So, when you consider Christ, what is the image of Christ you see? Christ is beauty to God. Christ is beauty to God. I know this is not your standard Christmas message about a baby lying in the manger. But you have to raise your sight to the essence of why Christ came. And Christ came as beauty for God. For us, beauty is nymph. You know what nymph is? An 18-year-old girl who has never slept with a man, whose breasts are still pesky, whose face has never needed makeup uh, adjustments. Yeah, uh, who, who has never lost anything of body juices in her body? We look at her and we say, wow, beautiful. For us, beauty is newness. You buy a brand new car, you say, beautiful. For God, beauty is function. Function. Imagine a mechanic who they bring a car to him. The car is broken and the car is sounding rough. He's looking around for what is wrong with the car. Tries his big wrench. Drops the engine. Nothing. He puts it back. Then his knowledge looks, peeks into some place deep inside the engine. He said, this is something. He said, give me 10, 10, 11. 10, 11. That's the most functional spanner in your toolkit. You'll find out if you're a mechanic. Give me 1011. He inserts the 1011, which has a particular wrench into a particular place and turns it and tunes it. Say, say try it. They try it. Pam. The car goes zoom. He drops the spanner and says, beautiful. Functionality is beauty. How did you take my word that I gave to you? 
How did you heal the people I sent to you? How did you work in my vineyard? That is what God terms beautiful. So we are trying chasing beauty in the natural when we should be chasing what God calls beautiful function. Let me not jump ahead of myself. When you begin to know Christ, you know him as a strong tower. You know him as a bulwark of strength. You know him as infinitely beautiful. You know Christ as the deepest satisfaction. You know him also as the biggest treasure your life will ever found. This yeah, is great beauty in just knowing Christ in his complexity. Hallelujah. Jonathan Edwards, a great teacher of the word who has gone to be with the Lord maybe over a hundred years ago wrote this. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. Can you read that with me? The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. John Piper wrote a book and in his book, what I took away, he said, God is most pleased with us when we are most delighted in him. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodation of heaven. Fathers and mothers, husbands and wives or children or the company of earthly friends are but shadows. God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are streams, but God is the ocean. Incredible guy. Everything you look for in life is but a canvas, a backdrop for you. The real substance is God and his Christ. What you're looking for is God and his Christ. What you're searching for, what you're hungry for, what you're desiring for in life is God and his Christ. The enjoyment of God. Hey, I don't know, some of you don't know how to enjoy God even in worship. You don't have to enjoy God in prayer. It's dry to you because you haven't entered well. Tell somebody, come in deeper. Tell, touch someone else and say, come in deeper. The enjoyment of God. The enjoyment of God. The enjoyment of God. This morning I hope to infect you with a holy virus. The virus that after that all you desire is to sit down and soliloquize and sit down and contemplate and sit down and imagine yourself sitting in the rooms where God is and to enjoy Him. For this is beauty indeed to enjoy God. Enjoying God in the mountains is easy. Enjoying God in the visible points is easy. It's easy because you are visible. It's easy because it's amazing. It's easy because you are being victorious. 
Mountain top has that sense of a high. So the beauty of mountains is okay, it's good, it's a season. But don't forget, the valley is coming. After every mountain comes the valley. And you must have both in equal proportions. Every land God gives you has both. Life will be tepid without the variation of hills and valleys. Life will be dry if all you have is mountain tops. So you need to climb to get to the mountain summit and plant the flag of what you represent. And in one moment you know that you have overcome. But before you get to the mountain top, I tell you, there will be many valleys. Many valleys. May we be people of mountains and valleys in the name of the Lord. Amen. Valley, on the other hand, carry the shadow of death. Valley represents what has been happening in Nigeria. When the northwest, northeast has been burning for 20 years. Eastern Nigeria, when you go home, you're like watching your back to see who's going to kidnap you. South, South, Lagos has been sitting on the tinkering edge of very balancing act. The whole nation has been in a valley. Let's be honest. Nigeria has been through the valley, still going through. Around the world, we see the war of Israel and Hamas. Whatever side you stand, it's a valley. The Islamic Jihad is threatening the whole world from Yemen, from Iraq, from Iran, from Afghanistan. They are launching people. They are training people. Afghanistan used to have the mountains of Bora Bora and from there they used to train Mujahideens who are going to take over the West. And right now, Yemen becomes the capital of that training. The pandemic, we saw it, that was a valley. Business closures, these things are common in the world. And at the personal level, you know the valleys you carry when you sit with your family members. People who offend you to the point of death. People who are so agitated. People who are so broken by the valleys of their existence. We all have valleys. The things we want to reach that we have not yet reached. The places we want to climb to that we haven't yet climbed to. The, the extent of rise that we want to have that we haven't reached. The competition, the war, the pulling on the edge for us to arrive at all God has in store for us. This is a valley. So sometimes valleys leave you alone stranded lost and even you feel dead it was in the context of this that God sent his son it was in a time when the Romans were oppressing the Jews they didn't have a say in their own nation they were broken so they were waiting for a Messiah. Most of them were waiting for a Messiah for political emancipation, including the disciples. They didn't realize that there was a bigger problem. 
And today we are making the same mistake. We love political emancipation. We don't want spiritual emancipation. We love that ability to be able to politically be free. The world is offering democracy as the way out. The world is offering change of government as the way out. Some people are even offering revolution as the way out. But this was how it was in the days when Jesus came. They were oppressed. They were tired of the Romans. They hated the Romans. If you watch the Chosen series, like um, season two, the, the fight between Matthew and the other disciples, you see how he captured the tension that was in their land on account of the Roman occupation. It was total, it was brutal, it was painful, and the only thing they wanted was to end Roman rule. In comes a plant, a tender shoot out of that dry ground. And God was going to send his son in a place where the governments were against God's people. He didn't go for political emancipation. Can you believe what God did? He sent his son into the house, not of a pedigree family, to the house of a pauper, a carpenter. What you would call a societal nonentity. He had no class. He had no attraction. The person God sent was a tender shoot out of dry ground. The solution to the brokenness in the nation God sent as a tender plant in dry ground in the blackness of black night when men are crying for liberty God sent solution but the solution was everything they never expected they never expected they never expected so Jesus drives the Jews mad the idea of Jesus drives Jews mad even up till today Why? Because it didn't look like the Messiah they were anticipating. I said it the other day. If it's me sending my son somewhere, I will back him up. You know, angels will announce from heaven clear territory. There will be Future devices, gadgets stationed in the air. Monitoring devices, you know, UFOs. Stretch your imagination and see how a God should send a savior to the world. At least nobody will be able to stand when my son stands. All of them will fall. Like the idea of God is crazy. It's a crazy idea to send the carpenter's son to deliver the world. Nobody does that kind of. It's not wise. If I was going to advise God, I'd advise him, Lord, this is not a wise thing. 
I want you guys to understand what lily in a valley means. It is the most surreptitious approach to tackling a difficult problem. It's the most innocuous way to be able to show up. Honestly, unbelievable. What kind of euphemism does God intend with this? To underwhelm everybody. It's unbelievable. Let me go on. But, but honestly, think about it. If you're a God, is this what you will do? How many of you will do God's strategy if you're a God? That's why he's God. He decided to send the weakest, the weakest way, the weakest way. In the rocks where everything is black, where it's difficult to walk through, among the mountains where you cannot even find a flat place for your feet is where God causes the most beautiful plant called the lily to grow. The lily grows. It's such a tender plant. You can just squish it with your hand. It's like a pulp flower. We had it in our flyer. Lily of the valley grows in the most difficult terrain. And the Bible now begins to speak to us and says, Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. Because Jesus being the lily of the valley was not for him. It was for us. For us to see how we've been sent out as sheep among wolves. The idea of God was to see that he won't give us all the power in our back pocket as we go to touch the world. He won't give us all the money as we go to build ministries. He won't give us all the people. Sometimes the people God gives you like, and God will tell you, Pastor Isi, you're going to take over the world. The nations belong to you. Then you now ask God, with which people? You now have an army, you think like, this is a ragtag army, Lord. These people can't take nations. They haven't taken their lives. <laughs> it says, consider him who endures such hostility so you will not be discouraged when you go through your own difficulty. You're going to go through difficulty. You're going to go through valleys. You're going to go through hard times. Make peace with that. There will be valleys in life. So remember him who endured hostility so you don't become weary and discouraged. Sintamali kushtaya panostei consider your beauty consider your word consider him who came that I might have life amazing love oh what sacrifice I can't sing it the son of God has given for me 
my debts he paid and my death he died that I might live this is Charles Spurgeon he penned this about 1875 I like to go back to the fathers to read if Jesus Christ were to stand on this platform tonight what would many people do with him if he were to come and say here I am I love you will you be saved by me not one of you would consent if you are left to your own will. He himself said, no man can come to me except the Father who has sent me draws him. Ah, we want that. And here we have it. They shall come, he said. They shall come. You may laugh, you may despise us, but Jesus Christ shall not die for nothing. Let me tell you guys something. Some people will catch this beauty. Some people will catch this beauty. I repeat, some people will catch this beauty. Some, some people will catch this jewel of inestimable value. Some people will find him. Some people will know him. Some people will know this fellowship we're talking about. If some of you may reject him, there are some that will not. If there are some that are not saved, others shall be. Christ shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in the hands of Jesus Christ. These people shall come. Not, nothing in heaven, nor on earth, nor in hell can stop the people who God has called from coming. You will come to Christ today. You will come to the beauty. You will see his attractiveness. He will be beautiful in your life. Nothing that hell throws your way, nothing that your mind conjures up will be able to stop you from encountering the beauty of Christ. Because the Bible says that because God offered him as an offering for sin and crushed him, that the Lord's good pleasure will prosper in his hands. Hallelujah. Let me ask you a question. Should Christmas be about baby Jesus? Or should it be about light and darkness? We like the romance of baby Jesus. We like the non-contradiction of a baby. We like the manger stories. Then add the other ones. Mistletoes, and reindeers, elves, and Father Christmas, Santa Claus, the man from the North Pole, who is coming to give gifts to all the children who behave well, will like it. But this was not the intention of God. The intention of God was light in darkness. The intention of God was lily in the valley. The intention of God was to send something tender that will upturn something strong so we are trying to get a king God sent a baby the whole idea of the baby was a lily in a hard place it wasn't for us to focus on the tenderness of the lily it was for us to see the essence of the giver and what's the essence that man was born in sin that the world is dark and fallen that earth and labor were cursed. This is a background before Jesus came. There's pain, there's sickness, there's death. Then God sends a Christ 
as a tender plant in a hostile ground and we concentrate on his tenderness and forget that God was trying to underwhelm not overwhelm underwhelm the situation hallelujah so many of us do not know how to rejoice in, in redemption we can rejoice in every other thing but not in redemption today this sermon is about rejoicing in redemption to be happy that you are saved many people are not happy that they are saved they are saved but they are not joyful in salvation they don't know how to celebrate salvation a friend of mine was writing a book and she sent it to me and I reviewed the book and I said that is this a Christian novel she said yes there was Jesus he was born again inside but I said to the person the novel was about uh, infidelity and stuff like that every time she describes the sexual experience she could describe it in full detail they tore his clothes they did this this she went into detail inside the Christian novel every time she describes redemption it's just one line he gave his, went to church and he gave his life to Christ. Who knows about the oppression of hell? About the darkness that fills the sinner? About the heart? Please wake her up. Wake her up, wake her up. No sleeping in church. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Who knows about the brokenness of a heart that doesn't know God? The depression of a man who is trying to do life by himself. The hardness that the devil slams on the people who comes against him. Who knows about the brokenness, the soul realm, the difficulty of going through pain, the power of shame, how shame will come upon you. You can't stand in society. Who knows about how tough life can be? Maybe this is not for everyone. Some of you, your life is so good. You don't, you don't see anything bad. Everything is good. Then maybe this message is not for you. But the devil beats everyone the same. He beats everyone in every nation of the world. He's after everyone to press them down. And guess what the devil does? To make you never able to see salvation on the beauty of Christ. You see every other beauty. You rejoice in every other beauty apart from the beauty of Christ. Say, I will see the beauty of Christ. Say it again. I will understand the beauty of Christ. I will contemplate his glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Look at this scripture. Do you know why many of us cannot see the beauty of Christ? We are desiring the beauty of men. When men look so beautiful to you, you will not see the beauty of Christ. See a man who doesn't understand God, I can tell you the reason why. Manhood, other men are more honorable in your eyes than God. Look at this scripture. Let's read it together. The New King James Version. One, two, go. Honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from only God. The NLT says, no wonder you can't believe for you gladly honor each other but you don't care 
about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Ask yourself, what honor are you looking for? What will make you feel satisfied with your life? What will make you feel happy? Is it when the president calls you personally and says, come to Aso Rock? I'm not saying this is not important. Don't forget. But if this is your highest priority, you never want the honor from God. It is to be recognized in the courts of men. You never seek the honor from God. I counsel someone today to look at the beauty of the honor from God. It's way superior than your leader, than your governor to call you. The honor from God is beautiful. You don't have to beg. You don't have to grovel. You don't have to pass buttons. If God honors you, he will open the threshold of nations for you. Everything God has is with those who honors him. So God invites us to rejoice in redemption. The first thing to remember is Emmanuel. God is now with us. Let's redefine Christmas to be Emmanuel. God is now with us. Embracing who he is in you. Equipping yourself to training yourself and learning how to respond. So Christmas then is not about the celebration of a baby. Christmas is the receiving of a gift from God. That gift is redemption. That God sent his baby into the world so that men will not remain who they used to be. And to immerse, like I said in the beginning, let this be your muse. Let this be your chief attraction. Let this be what calls you. And then after you immerse long enough, you can stand in it. The first place, we read a book by Watchman called Sit, Walk, Stand. We've been, we, we ripped that book around. It's a very, very easy book to read, 60 pages. I encourage you to go and read it. Sit, sit, sit. This whole week on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday we are praying and the title of the meeting is Sit. On the third, fourth and fifth we are also praying. The title is what? Sit, sit. Don't start by running. Sit first. Immerse first. Soak first. Hallelujah. That's why he came. He came so you can pick up something. Amen. As I round up, Jesus is your lily in the valley. And there are five ways. Number one. Climbing into eternal portals. The coming of Jesus Christ is supposed to raise you up to stand somewhere. In the eternity of God. The coming of Jesus Christ is supposed to remove loneliness and seclusion from you. So that your life will begin to count. God will bring you out from the place where you are hidden and cause you to stand in a place and say, let's do business together. The coming of Jesus Christ is supposed to end dissatisfaction in your life. Quench your hunger. Jesus is supposed to quench your hunger. He's supposed to heal your wounds. I don't know how many of you came here wounded this morning. 
You know, soul wounds are very difficult to see. If somebody has a cut on the outside, we can see it clearly. But if your soul is injured, you will dress it up. You will cover it in nice clothes. You will look so nice. Makeup will cover it. Some of you are wounded and damaged. But Jesus is the healer. Christmas is about healing. Christmas is about healing. Christmas is about healing. Don't focus on the baby. Focus on the healing. That's exactly why he's a lily in the valley. Christmas is about war with the flesh. Many times we have lost, some of us have lost the war with masturbation. Some of us have lost the war with pornography. Some of us have lost the war with things that bind us to the neck. Some of us have lost the war with drugs. Some of us have lost the war with the fellowship with the world. And guess what? For some people, it's a real struggle. It's a real struggle. They wake up in the morning and they're alcoholics. They're alcoholics. Alcohol determines the tempo of your joy. I break the chains. May Christmas mean to you the breaking of that chain today in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't want to be casual about this. I remember a guy called Emmanuel. When we say Ecclesia Hills, he came in the third service of Ecclesia Hills. He came, we're down in Radisson Blue, the other wing. Emmanuel came into our service just like some of you came this morning. And I was counseling with Emmanuel. He had just newly married. His wife was saying three things. He drinks too much. He's always partying. So Emmanuel came that day hoping to turn around his life. He wore a t-shirt. On the t-shirt was written, Fear God. I think that's a brand. Red. I never forget that t-shirt. White. White t-shirt with red writing, Fear God. Inverted white. He came to church and sat like some of you sat today. Emmanuel went home. And by Wednesday, I called. His wife got called me in the middle of the night. We can't find Emmanuel. I'm like, what exactly happened? She said to me, he came home very drunk again. And I ran away to my sister's house. And he was using the back of his car and banging the gate. He was so angry and so furious. He was so drunk. I couldn't, I couldn't carry my pregnancy and enter the car with him. He was saying, let's go home. I'm like, I can't ride with you. He drove off angrily on Tuesday and today is 24 hours later. I can't see him. Started praying. One day later, she called me and said, we found his body. He was here sitting in the congregation such as some of you. I didn't know it was his last time. Jesus did not come for fancy things and lights and ceremonies. He came to break something. To break something. He came to break something. To damage something in the kingdom of darkness. And I don't want to waste this service doing ceremonies. And there's someone here who the devil has you by the neck. 
and you can't see the beauty of Christ. I pray over you that your eyes will be open to see the beauty of Christ. To see that this is the most delightsome. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure which when a man finds, he sells everything and he may buy that one treasure. Christmas is about that treasure. Christmas is about beauty in darkness. Christmas is about tenderness in a hard place. Christmas is about the foolishness of God being wiser than the wisdom of men. Christmas is about the coming of a Messiah. That man will not live in darkness anymore. That man will no more be broken. That through the gift and the benevolence of God, the chains around your life are cut off forever. That you no more be a slave of money, running from one place to the other, constantly looking to be rich, to be rich. No time to pray. No time to focus. No time. You are distracted constantly. Christmas is about breaking the jinx around you. Christmas is about cutting off the albatross of hell. Jesus did not come so you can remain the same. Church is not about ceremony or politics or who likes to or who is the boss of who. That's not why we're here. And hopefully by God's grace, we'll demonstrate that more and more. It's not about our ranking. It's that none of you will perish in hell. None of you are hearing my voice. will be blind enough not to see the beauty that transforms men. None of you will be blind not to see the lily that grows out of dry ground. He's the lily of the valley. He's the beautiful one among thorns. <laughs> He's a tender gift of God that changes the game. He's the one by which God upturns. I don't know what problems you may be going through. I don't know what is burning in your family. We've turned this season into a time of fighting in the family. You haven't bought me my dress. You haven't bought me shoes. You haven't given me this. We turned this whole situation into a childish display. You haven't sent me my gifts. You haven't done anything for me this year. That's what Christmas has become. Do you know that there was darkness when Jesus came? Do you know that men were in chains? Do you know that it's about chain-breaking grace? Do you know that it's an anointing to upturn the work of hell? Do you know that it's a God plan to uproot darkness? Do you understand that we are liberators? Emmanuel never got that ch another chance. And to, to this day, I really wonder, did I do my best? Did I say everything Emmanuel needed to hear? Did I do everything? Did I fight him? Did I make it uncomfortable for him so that he will stand and make a decision for God? You will not perish. Oh, you will not perish. You will have life. Your eyes will see God. Your eyes will see the beauty. You will contemplate the beauty, this beauty that is God. That is Christ. From the hills of Golgotha down into craggy rocky valleys of Bethlehem grew an amazing lily. A lily that outshone the beauty of every other plant in the wild difficult terrain. A tender lily growing out of this dry valley 
What a lily sought after by the loftiest kings and queens of renown. Come, all who dream of incomparable beauty to the fragrance that refreshes life in the wilderness and a real sequoia that covers all. Come drink of this beauty for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one will even die to die. But God shows his love to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I pray today that every one of you will immerse in Christ. And as we immerse him in him, we will find him. Next slide. As we immerse in Christ, we'll find him excellent. Amen. We'll find him glorious. We'll find him intelligent. We'll find him wired. We'll find him powerful. We'll find him mind-blowing. We'll find him unbelievable. We'll find him fierce. We'll find him exceedingly mighty in words. Higher. More honorable. He will be glory to our vision. That kind of man that money and accolades can never give to us. Jesus will be a lily in our every valley. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to this message from